Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody out there, welcome to No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network. This show takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before with insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series, competition shows, social experiments, game shows, and much more. From the Kardashians to Shark Tank to Queer Eye to Naked and Afraid, if it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes among my credits. Each week, I talk to my colleagues as well as talent on screen who have made reality television and game shows not just something you watch on TV, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, before I get started with the show, if you do like it, and I hope you do, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. It is available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Today, my guest is a fantastic development executive and a good friend of mine who I've known for over a decade. She's currently the Senior Vice President of Alternative Programming at E1 here in the U.S. Please welcome Madison Merritt. Thank you for being here, Madison, my very first podcast. Your very first podcast. That is absolutely awesome that I get to be a part of this. Hello, Steve. Ah, we go way back. We go way back. Yes, we do. What was our show together that we, what was the first show? Was it Miss Rap Supreme? Technically, yes. We were both like uh, producers on Miss Rap Supreme, a wonderful show for VH1. Yes, it was. Yes. I was an associate producer. I was a story producer. That's when I learned you don't sleep when you're in the field. <laughs> yes, those are kind of the good old days of reality TV. You just put people in a house and it could be crazy, you know, girls trying to be the next great rapper and um, those were kind of fun days. Don't and you love it when you were on the beach sheet shenanigans ensued? Yes. Like, yes. we just knew that would happen, and that was enough for the and, network to believe it would happen? And they, yes, they trusted you that shenanigans, shenanigans would, would happen. In, would, would ensue. Yes. <laughs> um, and so you were producing then, and then right after that, you began kind of the journey into being a development executive. Um, and that was kind of, we, we worked together again shortly after that um, on The Amazing 50 Cent, The Money and the Power, which was on MTV. Um, so you were with Ish Entertainment um, for several years, yeah. right? Um, so you were development executive there. Um, and we did that. We did a couple. And then uh, I also did My Antonio for Ish. Oh, yes. With um, Antonio Sabato Jr. Yeah, Antonio Sabato Jr. Yes. So I guess the, the easiest way for me to get into this, and we can talk about development because that's your expertise, you know, development, selling show, developing shows, selling shows, pitching, taking pitches, which is essentially – you know, uh, kind of the, the, the crux of what you do. Um, how did you, you know, get into the world of development, whereas, you know, my focus is really the producing side. I do some development, but your focus is developing, selling shows. How did you get into that crazy world? Well, um, so 
when I moved to New York, my I was working at this restaurant called Bluefin, and uh, it was like the nicest restaurant at that time in Times Square. It was before Times Square was like kind of built up. It was kind of still grimy, but HBO was there. Morgan Stanley was there. Paramount was there. Showtime and 1515 Broadway. So I was a hostess in the restaurant and the restaurant had an upstairs and downstairs and the upstairs became this kind of de facto executive lunch. And I worked that lunch and I would start meeting all of these executives from all of these different places. And eventually I was like, I want a job. <laughs> I don't want to be a hostess <laughs> for the rest of my life. Of course. So I, um, so I ended up working at VH1 and MTV and CMT and Logo. I was a coordinator in, program, in programming and acquisitions. And there I met Michael Hershorn. Uh, yes. yes, Michael Hershorn, who is honestly the pioneer of great reality TV. Like I'm, I'm really blessed to him for him to have become my mentor. But I met him at, uh, I think it was VH1 Save the Music event. We were at like a concert of VH1 Save the Music. And so he asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to I wanna be a movie producer. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all? We, right? I, I was like, yeah. He was yeah. like, okay, well, you're going to have to move to L.A. And eventually I decided I would move to L.A. So I moved to L.A. with like 700 bucks. And like literally, it was like 700 bucks. But what ended up happening was he sent an email to all the production companies. Like He was like, write me a clean email and I'll forward it on. And he forwarded it on to all the main production companies at that time, Tijuana, 51 Mines. Correct. And of course... They all answered within 10 minutes because he was the head buyer. He literally right. was the person who bought their shows. So it was like, I didn't realize how blessed I was to have that, but that's pretty awesome. Michael was a big deal. Michael, I mean, I mean he is, is a big, big deal, deal, but at that time, I mean, celebrity was in its heyday, surreal life, flavor of love, like those things were big. And Michael was the guy. The guy. Know, at VH1. The uh -huh. guy. I yeah. mean, and just really smart. So anyway, he sent that email out, and then I met, I went and met with Chris Abrego and Mark Cronin, and they are they were the producers. Like oh, if yeah. Mark, if, yeah. if Michael Hershorn was the network executive, Chris Abrego and Mark Cronin were the producers. Yeah. So, so running at the time, both running Fifty One Minds, Minds at correct. that time. Yeah. Um. So it was interesting. So we were sitting there, and I said, I said honestly, like I, I came out here to kind of get into the movies, and Mark was like, "Well, just you know, come work for me until you find your job, right?" And I said, "Okay." And that was 13 years ago, and I'm still in unscripted. So we see what happens. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, I think, and you tell me if, if, if I'm wrong here, but I think that story is is co common with, I mean, my story is similar in that I was in the local sports and literally had 700, a little, I, a little bit more than that, but, you know, came here and worked for Scott Messick, you know, who, you know, had done Survivor and MTV Sports and you know, got that first job, and then 15 years later, I'm still doing it. Yeah, you know? that's and exactly I, right. I think that is kind of common is someone starts in one in one kind of genre or one area of entertainment and then kind of just ends up in unscripted, and it just rolls from there. In that long-winded way, which I felt like was still very interesting and people might want to know, but in that long-winded way, I, um, I then went and worked in the field. So I got promoted pretty quickly and started working in the field. And my first show was Rock of Love. And uh, my first show I ever AP'd for was a field producer, Rock of Love. And 
man, I slept for a week when that show was done. Like, not, like, I didn't, you did not sleep. You do not sleep. I mean, I don't understand. I don't even know if those hours are legal anymore. Like, I really don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think they're legal no, anymore. Back then, so. you literally yeah. were not expected to go home. And then no. the one day you had off was to set up the rest of the right. days and the challenges and everything like that. And you did that, like, back-to-back for four weeks. And you were sleep-deprived for, like, three and a half, four, four weeks, right? Because remember, once the shoot started, it was, like, a three and a half, exactly. four. But it was, like, yeah. every day, and it was intense. When you're trying to find Brett Michaels' love, there really, is, yeah, there's no rest. There's no rest. It's very important. Yeah. It's very important. So that being said, I slept for a week, and I was like, oh, my God, this is really hard. And then, But I still did other shows. I kept getting hired, so I, then I went and did Miss Rap Supreme, and then I did The Shot, and then I did America's Most Smartest Model. And Michael then decided to leave VH1 and start his own production company with Stella Stoper. And he called me and said, listen, I'm leaving VH1. Would you like a director of development position? Would you like to come on as my director of development? And I was like, absolutely. I was so excited. And so from that moment on, I left the freelance producing world and went into the production executive route. So that's what the choice was. And honestly, the choice was like sleep or (laughs) no sleep. Yes. Yes. I'm familiar with that. I'm familiar with the no sleep. Uh, yeah, field ages you, you know, and I just, yeah. it was like, I can't do that to myself. It are really you, does because you. Are you saying, are you commenting no, you look, on? No, okay. no, I was, talk, I was talking about me. Oh, got it. And the okay. lack of sleep and the crafty. <laughs> I, I'm going to agree with the crafty for sure. Yes, I'm definitely going to agree with that. No, you look fantastic. <laughs> Thank I, you so I, much. I want to make sure and clarify that. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, re- I do appreciate that. Um, so while you were at Ish, uh, did some some great work not just uh, you know if we talked about 50 cent but t a show with ti ti road to redemption right uh all about aubrey with aubrey o'day um one of the ones uh you know we, we i helped you out very briefly with girlfriend confidential you know with, with oh that's Ava. right you did you helped with the pitch tape yes i did that's yeah. right which was, I mean, th- those girls were, were a handful, but they were really good. I yeah. mean, that was a really good show. I mean, show. Eva Marcel is now, like, the, like, she's kind of, like, at the highest level of reality yeah. you can be now, which is Real Housewife of Atlanta. Yeah. Like, that's kind of reality. It's like Kardashian Real Housewives of Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's it's interesting seeing her go from top model, you know, to then having, you know, a show that was she fronted. With you, and then now it was kind of weird that all of a sudden I remember thinking, "Where's Eva?" And then, bam, there's Eva. Yeah, where's Eva? And then, bam, there she is. And and not like a friend of the cast. She's holding a peach. Yeah, you got to give it to I. Like honestly, I admire her. She is one of the most resourceful people I've ever seen. Yeah, and you know, uh, unscripted can be a tough place to find your way, and she really found her way. Yes, found her way there. Um, Big Smo, mm-hmm. I remember Big Smo, right for A and E, right. Um, Fix my family for we, mm-hmm. right. A wide variety while you were at Ish, right. And then also, you know, you 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 leave Ish, you start your own little pro- production company, Mad Av, which is a great name, Mad Av. I always loved Mad Av, and then did some work with Asylum as well. And one of the shows that I was very um, I always was was excited for you about and very interesting was Flipper Flop Nashville for HGTV that you sold. And were, were you at Asylum or was that your 
production company with Asylum. That was while I was under my pod deal. Uh, okay, with Asylum. So if, if you don't mind, like that was such an interesting kind of departure for you to go and do renovation. And what can you tell me a little bit about how Flipper Flop Nashville came about? Really, it's a funny story. Luckily, John Feld and I laugh about it to this day. But um, there is a very famous real screen party that happens at Steve Michael's house every every summer. And uh, when real screen West happens and I was at that party and it was the first year of my pod deal. I think my pod deal has started like three months earlier or something. And I'm at that party and John Feld comes up to me. Um, and he says, and, and at the time he was um, VP of programming or SVP of programming. And he's like, you know, Madison, I'm going to typecast you right now. <laughs> I, Great. Like, thank you so much. And he was like, we really need diverse programming on HGTV. Like, it's really important to me. And, you know, I, I'm an African-American woman, so that's why he came to me. And, and I said, oh, okay. And he was trying to explain what kind of you know, African-American programming. And I said, yeah, I want Cosby show and not love and hip hop. And he was like, yes. And listen, Bill Cosby is Bill Cosby, but the Cosby show was like, you know. At very, the time. At the time. It still is. It's still a classic yeah. show. It's still one of the best shows ever made, despite the yes. the guy at the head. It was a it was a great, great show for African-Americans to look sure. to in the iconic. 80s. It was, it was iconic. And so I was like, you want the Cosby show and not love and hip-hop. He's like, exactly. And so I said, okay, I'm on it. And, and you know, it, it was actually really refreshing that this, um, this, this tall, white, southern guy was like, I want a black show. And, and he meant it in the most respectful way. Like, he cared about making sure that diversity and every race was represented on HGTV. And that meant a lot to me. It's not like, you know, black people saying we need more black people. It was like people who were the decisions makers saying, no, we actually do need more. And and that's when you I started seeing the shift. And this was in, I don't know, 2016. Mm-hmm. So then I did a, um, I started looking. And I posted on the uh, black real estate brokers um, website. Really? I did Interesting. A, I did a casting and then put it out there and said, hey, will you send this as a newsletter out to your brokers? And this woman named Paige Turner responded back and she wrote this. I mean, she wrote, she literally like wrote it all out. And she's like, look, I flip houses with my ex. And then my ex happens to be a handsome ex-pro football player. And he's a contractor. He's like a real contractor. I mean, he builds, Deron Jenkins really does build houses from the bottom up. So I was like, this can't be real. And I get on the phone and she's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. Um, and she, I, she's, you know, I'm like, this can't be real. And then we get on the phone and we do a Skype interview. And I do a Skype interview with her and Duran, and they're fantastic. The chemistry is great. They get on each other's nerves, but you could tell, will they, won't they get back together? And honestly, I cut a, a Skype interview. I send it to John. John loves it and buys it. Wow. Straight off the Skype interview. Straight to, now was it, did you do? Oh, no. Scripts you, at the time has a very lengthy development process. Still does. Still does. Yeah. It still does. So at Scripps at the time, now Discovery, but Scripps, they would make you do a walk and chew gum test tape for like $10,000, right? Which in our world is literally what can you do with that? Right. But you do it. 
So I went out there with my own camera. I, like, I went back to my field producing days. That's when you, you always respect the experience you have because you never know when it's going to come in handy later. You Absolutely. Just, you just never know. So I went back to my field producing days. I was writing beat sheets and creative, and I was directing scenes, and I was with a Bare Bones crew, and I put together a great like you know, five-minute sizzle that was showing that they can walk and chew gum with real cameras in front of their face. That's awesome. And then that got greenlit to pilot. Then we shot the pilot. Then the pilot had to air. And then, (laughs) which, by the way, I think it aired at like 11 p.m. on like a Saturday night or something where nobody's watching TV, right? And it did well enough for it to get picked up. Crazy, yeah. That was It was like two years. Right. Like, like, Like 2015 is when it started. We shot our first season 2017. That's pretty amazing. That long of a development process because you start to lose faith and and you need the talent to stick with you. Yeah. You know, and believe. And because I, you know, I remember you kind of telling me about it. And I mean, that that those are the types of stories that do give you faith that you can sell something. And um, how many seasons did that one? It only did two, sadly. Um, But you know what? From that list that you named, like, I know there's, like, there's really, none of those, I think you even went to a second season, um, you know, except for Flip or Flop. It's so hard. It's it's so hard to get a sale. Like, this is one of the most heart-crushing businesses. You could work on something for a year or two years, and it could be the best thing that has ever come out of your mind, and everybody loves it, but then there's this other thing that we don't know about. There's something in marketing where they made this deal where they have to go with this, this, you know, there's just so many outside factors. And that's the hardest part for me. The hardest part for me about my job and my career is that there's so little I have control of. I can deliver exactly what a network is asking for. And they will say, you delivered exactly what we're asking for. But there was another one that was just a little bit more exactly advertiser friendly or we have to go with this production company because we have an output deal or like there's just so many factors that you don't control. That's the part of the job that's the hardest. It's frustrating, right? If It is very frustrating, but I have come to learn to separate how well I think I am as a development executive from those yeses because I do understand that. I can put together the best package in the world and something completely outside of my control can kill it. Uh, it could be that a company just got bought or merged or yeah. sold or an executive just got laid off or an executive just got brought in and nobody wants to take on this old slate. I mean, you literally are you're at the mercy of the whims and the changes of the winds of the industry. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. You know, I mean, and I've been there as well where you literally, you know, they give you notes and then you do the notes and you feel you have that great feeling of, OK, this is perfect. But like you said, there's always that one thing that it's the factor that you don't know about, whether it's another company just came in and pitched something that had a celebrity talent that was attached or a piece of IP or something that just makes it a little bit better and... I know, and sometimes they don't have everything that you have, but they have, like, something where, um, you know, they have a history or something. Like, like the one thing I love about working, you know, at E1 is that it's a production company that is highly respected by networks. They truly know that we're going to execute 
excellent work. And I give all credit to Tara Long and Mark Herwick and David Kelleher for that because they really make sure that what we sold, they get. Because in my world, after it's sold and the series is off the ground and the showrunner has been hired, it's almost like that didn't exist for me. Like, it really does. It becomes like a show that doesn't exist because my I'm so busy building the pipeline to make sure that there's something to execute for them later on. Because the truth of the matter is you can develop 20 things and one thing will go. Right. Exactly. So yeah. it's a volume business for me. So, I, I like, working working at E1 has, has been has been better for me as a development executive because I go into pitches where they already trust the work and the execution. It's I call it a friendly room. It's a friendly room. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a good transition. Uh, so now you're at E1, which, you know, I consider you know a fantastic company in terms of, like you said, Tara has – I remember meeting Tara several years ago. We were assistants together. Oh, I, that I did not know. Well, actually, I think I had just got promoted to AP on Rock of Love, and she just started being Ben Samick's assistant. See, I, kn- I had no idea. And now the girl is president of Global. Like, you got to give it to her. I mean, the first time I met her, um, shortly after I had done, like, Extreme Makeover Home Edition and a couple other shows, and, like, I was right in between being a supervising person and a co-EP, she literally only had two shows. And... That and different building and everything, and it's been incredible to see her really build that from just one or two shows to now what you have, which is, I mean, it's like twenty six, twenty six shows, right? And that you know Hasbro is now you know, and she's got other people with pod deals, and um, it's pretty incredible what you guys have. Um, how has your job really changed as you know from going to Ish and then having your own pod and now being at E One? Have things changed? Is it the business? that's changed like what what is different now versus like you know when we met and we, we worked on say 50 cent you know i mean the business certainly changed. everything is different when we worked at 50 cent do you know what our budget was and yes it was like seven hundred and fifty thousand an episode we, we had, had like eight cameras i was just gonna say like it was cameras. it was like ridiculous and that would never happen now like not yeah. y- you know like some like it it, it does but it's not like then it used to be. I remember having like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar development fund that were supposed to be thirty thousand dollar sizzles. Like we were supposed to do thirty thousand dollar sizzles. That feels like so much money to spend on a sizzle now. Like I really try not to spend like that because there's so many no's. Yeah. And networks respect that there's so many no's that they've come to learn how to see what they need to see on Skype. Like I really, I really, really give props to network execs knowing that it is so hard to thread that needle that they are no longer looking for the super slicks tapes now having them really does help. Like we have a new president of U.S. television, Gino McDermott, and he is known, his reputation is known for delivering some of the best tapes out there. And he sells a lot. Um, But he's also doing true crime. And that's a look and a feel. And there's a whole thing with docu-series. You're selling a character and you can get that across in Skype. And so I do think there is a, a mix of how you pitch now. Um, But it's, everything is different from there's less money to um, you is much harder to sell. I mean, you used to be able to sell stuff on paper. Uh, yes. Like, do you remember you used to be like, oh, here's a group of women. Like, just look at their pictures and buy it. Yes. And they would buy it. Like, yes. you know what I mean? They were like, I want all these women. I want this. I want that. <laughs> Especially if they felt like you were known for talent, which I feel like Correct. that's my reputation right. as a producer is that I'm known for finding good talent. At least that's what my former agent at CAA. The only reason she's my former agent is because I took a full-time job, but... <laughs> 
if I was an independent producer, Christina Quote would still be my agent at CAA. But she would always say that's like how she would pitch me and that's how she would tell me. She's like, networks really see you as somebody that knows talent. And I felt like I, I could kind of find that, yeah. th- those those gems that made really great TV. I mean, Girlfriend Confidential went straight to series yes, off of, it did. Of, of a regular tape. Uh, and, and you shot like one, one uh, night. Like a, yeah, one night. At a bar. Yeah. And they just made us laugh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I was that was the most shocking call I got was straight to series. I, I think I've gotten two straight to series in my life, which is that's that's not bad. Like it's so hard to get straight to series. It's extremely hard now. Yeah. To get straight to series. Yeah, I've gotten them. It was extremely hard then to get straight to yeah. series. So like but so in in that aspect, everything has changed. The other thing that has changed is that there's so many more places to pitch. But because of that, what has happened is that you have to be very specific with your pitches because they all had to delineate in their branding. So back in the day, in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, I can make one pitch for five different networks. It would work for VH1, Oxygen, Style, WeTV, and Lifetime. And I could get maybe two or three offers because it all fit that young female millennial like docu-series, like what are we doing? You know what I mean? Yep. So now VH1 is different from WeTV. Absolutely. Like you can't pitch. 100%. You can't, even though it seems like it is, it's not. Like it's, there's something different. Lifetime is different than VH1. Completely. E, oh, oh, and you could pitch E. Remember? You had E style. Yeah. I mean, it was just. You could do one tape and you could pitch five or six networks. And now everybody has, a, has their own POV. And they and if you are off the mark, forget about it. And they'll even say this feels a little bit more Bravo than yeah. it does E. This feels a little bit more USA than it feels Bravo. Like you know, and it's so it's it's so hard. So even though we have so many more places to pitch, the places are, in my opinion, so specific about what their thing is that differentiates yeah. them, as they rightfully should do, to make sure, sure they stand out in a very crowded, competitive market. Yeah. So it has become, you know more difficult to not spend so much money on so many different pitches. So I, I would, that's good. I, I bring up the question. Some people I see have the style of developing the machine gun style where it's quantity. I want to pitch. I got to pitch every week. You know, I want to get something out every week versus the sniper style, which is, I think is kind of what you're alluding to, which is I want to make sure when I do pitch, that it is buttoned up. I've got talent or IP or I know this is this network is interested in this type of show. Do you feel like it's a combination of both that you've got to have a show that goes out every week? It's like mass sniper shots. Mass sniper shots. So multiple snipers. Yeah, like yes. I, like so like when I worked at Ish, I remember Michael told me He's like, choose five projects that you want that are yours, and you just focus on those until you get them ready to pitch. Don't, like, keep your focus. And at the time, at, at Ish, I was, like, kind of, like, senior vice president of, like, me and maybe one other person, right? right. Like, it wasn't, like, a sure. whole team. And then at Asylum and at my pod deal for Mad Ave Entertainment, it was just me and me alone kind of working on it. So there wasn't a lot of volume, right? E1, I came in and I came in with a team. And I came in, like, I inherited a team. I have a really great, strong team. We, we laugh a lot together. We put together a lot of stuff together. And they're all very hard workers. And so because our number is bigger than most teams, like, I have a VP and, you know, three directors of development, a head of casting, and, you know, 
an, you know, basically an assistant to the department. And so I'm not saying all that to like say, oh, we have all this. But sure. what ends up happening is that that number, we have that number so that we can actually get out more things. And so it still feels slow in some ways because I don't like half-baked ideas. We'll let them sit. But we still have everybody coming from us. Like we'll have film department pitching us. That's the other thing about working for a global studio. Uh, yeah. We'll have music department pitching us. We'll, we have UK companies trying, you know, who want to come into the U.S. market. So it's just a more volume game, but it's still about the quality. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what do you, when people come to you and they ask you for advice in terms of how to pitch, I mean, you are now in a different position with such a bigger company, but do you recommend spending more time getting the product ready before taking it out? Or do you tell them, no, it's about volume and really having lots and lots of ideas? Because I tend, I tend to feel like it's easy to get distracted. There's so many networks now, lots of people, you know, you, you can get so many ideas. It's easy to not focus on, okay, this, is, I, this idea is my favorite, this idea I can spend a lot of time on. What do you tell people when they ask you advice? Like, hey, I want to get into development or I want to develop shows, I want to pitch shows. I think the number one advice I give, the number one piece of advice I give people is to have something that makes it yours. There's really, and I know this is going to sound bad, but it's kind of true in my, there's really no new idea under the sun, but there are new people attached. There's new there's there's you know what I mean like the absolutely so for me like you coming to me and telling me oh I you know I want to do this amazing car show where you take you know this car and turn it into that car and I'm like great do you have the garage do you have the person who does right. it do you have sure. like like basically package. do you have the package because you not knowing who executes that there's no reason for me to do that job for you I don't really need you right Right. And I'm not trying to sound cold, but I'm not about to share in profits when you didn't actually put the thing that makes you indispensable sure. in there. Right. Sure. Because yeah. there's really not really much new. Right? right. So I tell people, make yourself where I need you. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's what I have to do. Of course. Of course. Have the streamers, the you know, the streaming wars are now upon us. HBO Max is, you know, is in full gear. Obviously, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and then next year we'll have Peacock and Quibi, right? Uh, so, how is this affecting you? Um, is it not affecting you? What, what is, yeah, like how is this? What are your thoughts on kind of where that's taking us as an unscripted genre? Um, I find it very exciting. I, I, I find it very exciting, but I also feel the pressure to make sure that I end up there in the sense of, of, of making sure that I find something that works. And as much as they buy, they buy so they're buying a lot because they have a lot of content that they need to fill up. It still is very specific and very elite. And it is like yeah. they're not just buying BS. Correct. Like they, and, and, and the thing is, is that they have the money to get the top of the top talent and they're getting it and so a lot of times um the talent might have the idea and then they'll pick the production company or sure. so it just it it just is actually even though there are more places to sell to it is ironically harder to sell in my opinion yeah because the bar has been raised so high like quibi they're announcing shows that are just 
every every week every, is like a new show where Andy you're like, Samberg. oh my god, yeah, right. You're like, wow, like J Lo, like right. yeah. You're like Chrissy Teigen's court, like wow, yeah. like <laughs> Chrissy's court, like right. it's it's like you're like, wow, these are amazing. Right. This like so you realize that even though they're buying a lot, these are really elite ideas with really elite talent, and so I think that was the thing that I think I've had to adjust to, sure. because I've always been scrappy. Right. I've always been a scrappy Absolutely. producer. I've called networks and said, like, how I got all about Aubrey series is I called Oxygen and said, who do you want to be in business with? But um, but he was like he, he just like he was eating lunch and he was like, I guess Aubrey O'Day, such and such, such and such. And I was like, OK. Then I called my friend who used to work for Puff and say, do you have Aubrey's number? He's like, I do. And she sent it to me. So I texted right. Aubrey. I said, can we get on the phone? And I said, do you want to do a show? She was like, huh. And it, it would be, I think it was her first show after being fired. Right. Like, it was. So, so it was kind of a get. And that's how I sold it. Yeah. So I like to sell, going back to your sniper. I'm Vers- a, versus yes, machine gun. I'm also right. a sniper developer. Like, I don't like shooting randomly because I find that has a slow, that has a lower sell. Like, yeah. it, you just don't sell as much when you're like, I think this will work for this. And I think this will work for that. What really works is when you call the networks and you say, what are you looking for? Who do you want to be in business with? What is the show that if I brought it to you tomorrow, you would buy it? A lot of times, 7 out of 10, they don't know. Like, it's, it's like a je ne sais quoi, right? Yeah. But the more I call and the more I have that shorthand where I'm just kind of checking in or I send an article or it, it just gets you where they're like, okay, well, I think she could probably pull off this. So I feel like the true success of a developer in a development department is when networks want to bring you projects because they feel like you can execute and develop them. And I do find that that's happening more and more is that networks will reach out to us saying we want to find this and we want to do yeah. that and we want you guys to be the ones to develop it. And that honestly is one of the best compliments in the world. Yeah, that's good. I mean, obviously now you've proven yourself that you can sell and your company, you're in a good spot because your company has proven that they can produce. So it's a definitely a good combination, you know. And even with that is still hard. Still hard. To sell. Yeah. Even with that you, you brought up a good topic that I wanted to get into, which is talent. You know, obviously Quibi is basically, you know, basing their business model on big talent, you know, and HBO Max doing a deal with, with Ellen DeGeneres. You know, you have Dwayne Johnson, be, you know, fronting a show with Titan Games on NBC. And it's really the presence of celebrities in Unscripted, which, you know, five, six, seven years ago, we didn't see nearly as many of them. Um, there was an article that I just read, you know, that, there are no really more just traditional game show hosts. You have Alec Baldwin hosting a game show. You have Joel McHale, Dax Shepard that really, you it's know. what happened to magazines, right? Like magazines stopped putting models on the covers yeah. and they started putting celebrities. Celebrities. It's the same thing happening in TV. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I mean, in, in some ways it makes sense because it's eyeballs, you know, social media, it gets Twitter, you know, a buzz. But... Is there is there anything that is, you know, does it affect the sales? Does it affect development? From a producing standpoint, I think it, it's helpful, but it's also like there are there is ba- the extra baggage of managers and agents and things like that. Has it helped hurt this kind of change? Has it helped or hurt the development side for you? Um, I I think it. I don't think it hurts. I just think it slows down the process sometime because you have to get the deal point. done. Yeah. Like you ha- like it obviously helps. Yeah. Right? Like 
it just it helps when there's talent attached and, and talent that is not too diluted or yeah. hasn't put their name on a lot or they're a get. Yes. Um, and so uh, it can it gets to a great sell a quick it gets to a quick sell but the lead up to that quick sell is deals. Yeah. And figuring out like how what what's going to happen and so and figuring out who that talent is so no I don't think it hurts the development process it just slows it down. Yeah, it's a good point and. That's the one thing, having come off doing some development, and you and I have talked a little bit about this, is that process that you have to be very patient, you know, being being a developer, and I'm not as patient as you are, and being a producer is a little bit more just go, go, go. And Well, you get to execute what's already been figured out. Yeah. Right? And there's a sort whole... Of. Sort of. Enough. Sort of. You I don't, give you a lot. I don't give act, them a yeah, lot. Don't act like you figure it all out. No, that's true. But we give a lot. Like you're, you're like at least you know it's a go. Yes. Right. Oh no. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um. I mean. But no, that's true. I've handed shows to showrunners and been like, "Here you go." Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Good lucks. Yes. Yeah, My door is yeah. always open to you. <laughs> And then, then we call and you're, you're like, like, oh, I'm so busy. We call and you're like, new phone, who dis? <laughs> right. Right? That's yeah. not true. We just developed something together where we were in. We, But no, I want to make sure there are certain development executives who are like, new yes. phone, who dis? But I actually, because of my producing yes. days, yeah. like when we were going back and forth on those yeah. format. Oh, that was the, fun. Yeah. I super was, fun. I was in there. I was like, yes. man, I really remember this stuff. It's like riding a bike. Yeah. No, it's super fun. And the best development executives do stay some at least somewhat involved with what's happening. I can't let happening. it all the way go. Yeah. I can't. Well, because you put your heart and soul into it. I can't. I got to at least check in. I got to see those first eps. Got to. Got to. But you were saying, you were just asking about, um, you were asking, you just asked about something, the development, the talent. Oh, I mean, it was kind of like I, where I was going with it is just kind of this explosion of celebrities being involved, not just even on camera, but, it, you know, you have the LeBron Jameses of the world who are literally, you know, they're EPing Million Dollar Mile or The Wall. I mean, they're being behind the camera. Kevin Hart, you know, who has his own production company, you know, he's hosting, but he's also got, you know, multiple shows on the air. Is is this, like, I guess for me, is it tough? I mean, I find it, it's, you read about it every day. It's like celebrity, you know, the headline is always celebrity with a brand new unscripted show. And it's makes it harder for us right it is it is harder because they know that they're i mean listen it they they know it's needed yeah and the truth of the matter is and it's it's smart for the networks because it, it helps with the marketing yeah it. like it Absolutely. literally you know what the show is you look at the billboard and you have this person who has a hundred million instagram followers who's willing to tweet out who's willing to post your show of course like it it's it's really smart it's it but it's all about the packaging now even with doc we were talking about this remember when we um, we had dinner that one time and we were talking about like the directors and needing yes, the directors, directors for film and for documentaries, film. Yeah. like even with documentaries now, everybody wants to know who's directing it. Like, Correct. like what? And a lot of times, here's filmmaker. a dirty, yeah, but here's a dirty little secret. I mean, there are filmmakers, but sometimes it's, it's just the name. And there's somebody else Correct. doing the work. Not every time, right. but there's a lot of times that the filmmaker is just lending their name. Sure, um, but- for that reason to be able to market. Oh, a hundred percent. And but I, I, I wonder, you know, because you are so good with talent and you've had a history of getting talent, are you now focusing a lot of your time because you know that networks get excited about a big name? Do you focus even more of your time on trying to, you know, hook a big fish? Or are you kind of like just keeping doing doing what you're doing, knowing that the success is there, you're with a, a good company? 
is it still split? What's kind of this? Has the strategy changed at all? Uh, I still start with the idea. I still start with the idea. Now, if if a celebrity is given to me saying this person wants to get into TV, what do we have? Uh, I will then back into it from there. If but a lot sometimes those celebrities are not easy. Yeah, like like sure. some, sometimes not every celebrity just because you are a celebrity does not mean you're a celebrity that helps sell a project. Sure. And so uh but there are times where you are given those celebrities and it is like magic in a bottle and everything moves so fast and you figure out the idea and the idea is super simple. But the celebrities that's the other thing. Celebrities make it where the idea does not have to be so out of the box crazy. Yeah, it's true. The celebrity is the out of the box crazy. So I still, but to answer your question, I still, I still stick with the idea. Idea. I do. I think, I think if you can make sure the core of that idea is good, I think you have a much better start than just you know. Now, of course, like if certain celebrities come to me and say, Jennifer Lawrence came to me and says, I want to do a survival game basically. <laughs> I'll just walk her in to yeah. Nat Geo or to whatever. You know that would what I'm be saying? awesome. But you get, like, of course, like, there's certain celebrities, you just yeah. walk them in. <laughs> yes. That would be phenomenal. The Real Hunger Games The Real Hunger Games. Yeah, exactly. I would watch that. All right, we're, we're almost done, but I wanted to uh, kind of throw these at you. Your, your best pitch ever. My best pitch in person or, like, pitch tape? No, your best pitch, like, where you came in and just knocked out of the park. It was a show still being talked about, but it was I, so I th- this is the problem with development. You can't talk about anything because nothing is is out in the open. That's the problem. That's fine. You don't have to say the name of it, but you can just tell me like you can tell me a little bit about what happened. I understand. Or, so yeah. I walked into this pitch and I it was a dance competition show. And not only did I have the whole format figured out, I had the budget, where we would shoot it, how much it would cost, how much was music clearance, who were the hosts. And to this day, the network exec says that was the best pitch. You literally, that like you gave me one of the best pitches I've ever received. I think the key to pitching is to not wing it. It's interesting. Some people prefer, I know people who, who don't like the over prep, but I agree with you. I only feel better. I feel com- most confident if I've rehearsed, if I like have, you know, got a routine going yeah i wonder if those people are pitching now or are they living in yesteryear because now they're asking for things to be figured out like they want to know what is the look how is it going to happen what is the like especially even with true crime they want it solved before you even air like they want to know what's going to happen so i don't know like it's it's too expensive to do a show and to launch a show for you not to know the answers to the questions um worst pitch Oh my God! This one. Oh my God! It was. It was. Uh, I was doing this show. Remember Brian Graydon? Yes. So at the time he was like the big. He was yes. like right under Van Toffler at MTV, and we were doing this show with this talent, and I will not say his name, but we were doing this show with this talent, and we brought him into the room, and he just. I'm in the room with Brian Graydon. Like this is Michael <laughs> Hershorn's boss. Right. And this talent would not speak would not engage, just decided he didn't care that he was in the room with Brian Graydon. And it was so embarrassing. And what made it worse is that kind of like I got blamed for his bad behavior as if I didn't prep him or and, – and, and it's – you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, But that wasn't sure. – so that's really annoying to get – like that's the one part of our job that's really annoying is that 
and I have to remind networks of this, slavery was abolished in 1865. I can't make people do anything. Like, I can trust that they'll do great things, but if they don't want to deliver on a scene, I can't make them. <laughs> that's that's 100% true. Right? Yes. Like, so, like, so I couldn't make him do a great pitch, and it was just so embarrassing and so painful, and to Brian Graydon. So that was awful. That sounds awful. It was I'm awful. feeling the pain just now. You telling me? Yeah, no, that I was hope a I tough one. I hope I didn't bring up. No, some... I'm, I'm probably not going to sleep tonight. Okay, I feel bad. <laughs> Don't. I'm just kidding. So to sum up the unscripted world, <laughs> I it's 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 like the most civilized wild wild west. It's like high tech wild wild west. It's like we have so much. Everybody's doing the gold rush right now. It's the it's the it's the age of the of the digital new media and there's so much gold out there and but it's like civilized and we're all out there trying to like take part and honestly what has been probably the biggest floodgate we have experienced ever in content I mean we have more play we have more content than ever and so if you're persistent and you give quality you can be a part of this like you really can that gives me hope you, that was like that was like a presidential speech. I, I very like I'm now excited and ready to go develop again. Well, let's do yes. it together, man. Yes, we should. No, but I I tend to agree in that um, you know there's more ways to develop. There's more IP out there. There's still great talent out there, and there are more buyers. Um, I think that you do have to be clever. Yes, and you know, and unique. Yeah. You got to be clever and unique. And I, I think for me, it's about being a sponge and being an encyclopedia of, of knowledge of what's out there and who to work with and people come to people like you who, you know, can actually help you get your idea in the right place. I mean, that's one of the things I really like about you, Steve, is that you really, really know your business. Like, you really, you, like, eat and breathe. Like, if there's a new show on, you are watching it from beginning to end. You're seeing what the format beats are. You're seeing how they did the story. And it's why, in my opinion, you're one of the best producers out there because anytime I look at a resume and I just see the same show over and over, I see somebody who's probably a little bored and is probably, like, they're really probably good at what they do. Yeah, of course. But they're probably a little bored, right? Because you get into this business because you're a creative, Sure, and, of course. And, the, and for me, that's one of the reasons I went the production executive route because right. I can work on several different types of shows. On one day, I'm working on a music competition show. The next day, I'm working on how do I get girls to fight each other <laughs> to the next day. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm working on fashion and I'm working right. with big names and big brands. And so I like that I can go from kids to 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 fashion to to women to LGBTQ to like I can do yeah. it, I can do it all and and I can see that if somebody has been doing the same type of forever I find that their light has sometimes been dulled now some people love that consistency yeah but with you your your variety is what makes you strong well thank you and I do agree I think people like myself who have so many different interests um, this is a great business to be in because you can do Extreme Makeover Home Edition or BattleBots or the Rachel Zoe Project or Al Doddard or Friday Night Tykes. I mean, I just literally Oh, my named. God. Look at yeah. all of that so, variety, man. Yeah. I love it. I never get bored. Um, let's finish up with really the reason why I decided to do the podcast, which is, you know, I think 
reality television, game shows, unscripted, really in general. You know, I think there's people who love it. There's some people who, you know, like to shit on it. Um, but I think that we have, you know, in this genre become, you know, we're a cult. Reality television is a cultural phenomenon. We went from just being the real world and then Survivor and people thought, oh, you know, it's a trend. It's a fad. It'll go away. And now we're 30 percent of the content out there. And I think we're here to stay. And you have billionaires like Kylie Jenner and you have the Kardashians and you got, yeah, I don't want to talk about it, but the guy in the White House who was a reality star. I don't want to talk about that. But still, it's, you know, I mean, I think for me, you know, I'm proud to say that I'm a reality producer and I used to laugh about it and say that, you know, we're the bastard stepchildren of um, of entertainment. But when you do see Dwayne Johnson hosting a show and Dak Shepard and, you know, Joel McHale and Alec Baldwin hosting a game show, you know, or, you know, any of these people, LeBron Kevin James. Hart. Yeah. You know, I think there is something to people giving us a little bit more respect. And I just wanted to get your take on kind of the evolution of the genre and how we've gotten bigger. And I mean, I think there it's only going to continue to get bigger. I agree. I agree, especially with a um, writer strike looming. Oh, that's true. The writer strike is looming. People pretty much believe it's going to happen. And so it's our time to make sure that we can fill all of those hours of programming that are going to be needed. And this is the time where this is like the real, real, like true gold rush, too, for us, too. Yeah. So as much as I dislike that that's going to happen and there's going to be disagreements and, and all of those things, I remember one of my shows got canceled famously. I love Dirty Sexy Money, and they, you just couldn't recover after the writer strike. It was such a great show. I don't know if you remember that scripted show. But uh, it's, it's just it's more it's, – it's less expensive to make, and it, and it just is something that people can't get enough of. The reason people can't get enough of it is because the stories will never stop. You literally cannot make up these stories. Just like there are 7 billion yeah. people in the world, there are 7 billion stories. So it is literally a limitless amount of stories and time that we will always have. And I think that is the beauty of Unscripted, is that when you're basing things off of real people or real emotions, it's just an unending well of just story and personality and entertainment. And we're really lucky to be in it. And just to kind of circle it all back, you remember when I said I wanted to come out here and be in the movie? Yeah. I'm so happy I didn't do that. <laughs> do you know what? How much they like they, their Sundays are read days. Like they literally, yeah. like they literally are just. I mean, like they literally just are overrun with reading scripts all the time. Yeah. And I just think that would have actually ended up not being something I would have enjoyed. I love reading. I re anybody who yeah. knows me knows you've been you know my yeah. my bookshelf is ridiculous. Exactly. But I just to feel that that's my Sunday and that's what I have to do and then I have a Monday right. development meeting to make sure I show that I read something that was sure. worth pitching. It just feels really very hard to do. So one thing I've come to live life by is that whatever's in my life is beneficial for me. And that's whatever's great. not in my life is beneficial for me. Ah, very wise. Well, very I was wise. taught that. It was it was it was very helpful. Um, all right, so you shared some of your bad pitches. I'll, we'll end on. I'll share with you um, my very first pitch, and it clearly was the worst ever. I was 
um, I had developed a game show that was clever for, you know, I think I was 28 or 29, just moved to L.A., and it was like the very first time I'd ever come up with a fun idea. It was very similar to Are You uh, Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? That had not come out yet, and so I was, you know, the person who I had developed it with or for was excited to help me take it out, and we were pitching, and no one told me how to dress for a pitch, Madison. And I think I had been in Los Angeles for maybe a year, but I was working for Scott Messick in Santa Monica. And Scott, if you've worked for him, he has a casual dresser and his whole office was. People wore flip-flops and shorts. Guess what I wore to this pitch? I wore T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops to a pitch. Oof. And um, I, it's, it's, I look back on it, and literally the guy who we pitched to looked at me, looked me up and down, and I had, like, a, a State College Pennsylvania bar T-shirt, and he, like, literally the first thing just remarked about the T-shirt, and, like, he could not stop staring at my feet. <laughs> oh, no. And, oh, <laughs> and, no. like, the flip-ups, like, you could tell. He was just... And I was so naive, I didn't realize until afterwards the person, the producer who I had partnered with and his agent were like red faced, embarrassed and had they were kind enough to just explain to me that, like, you can't dress like this. And the horror and embarrassment on me. Oh. Um, but yet, you know, is that network executive still around? Um, I'm I don't know. OK, I don't know. Um, well, you've made it out. I yes, I survive. I mean, those are the learning experiences, and that's all this is, right? Yes. Anyway, it's surviving uh, and thriving. Yes. Anyway, okay. Well, um, thank you for um being on the inaugural uh podcast. Um, no script, no problem. Um, and I hope we get to uh, collaborate on something in twenty twenty. I think that's a definite. Okay. Well, all thank right. you, Steve, for having me. <laughs> Uh, for everybody out there, if you do enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. Uh, no Script, No Problem is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me, Steve Berkowitz, on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising, on this show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. And I do want to thank the people at Believe uh, for helping me to uh, develop and, and do this podcast. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.